Before we begin, dear listeners, a slight taciturn admonition. Tonight's episode is not for the faint of heart, even amongst our most enthusiastic of listeners. There will be elements of grotesquerie, body horror, and violence. Characters will endure and conduct unethical medical experimentation, often through the use of coercion. There will be unpleasant descriptions, and occasionally unpleasant sounds. Listen of your own volition, and remember this. You were warned. And now, without further ado, let us begin. So, Mr. Kent, what you're telling me is you walk into this man's place of business like he's some kind of criminal, planning to ruin his reputation and his livelihood, and instead you have some kind of revelation, and all of a sudden you're asking to work for him? Yes. Just like that? What? Just like that you go from hating him to thick as thieves, and he just hires you? Yes. He was in dire need of an assistant, and I'm Awful convenient. I don't follow... Come on. Even if you ignore the fact that you went from hate to hero worship in the span of ten minutes, there are way too many coincidences. This guy just happens to move in, just happens to live where you do, just happens to be willing to give you the time of day after you tried to get him blacklisted. Like I said, awful convenient. The ways of the world are stranger than fiction. Sure they are. So, you're working for him, and then... I still can't figure out how you went from there to what we found. In order to understand what happened, you need to know why. Whatever you say. The doctor and I spoke for hours, through the afternoon and well into evening. He told me of his travels, the jungles of Peru, the dunes of Egypt, the mountains of Tibet... How, like myself, he had been absolutely resolute in his purpose to find ways to heal the world and save humanity from itself. We both began our search in the structured art of medicine, however, while I had remained within the confines of the Hippocratic Oath, in time he had begun to look outward, to the unprovable, the mystic, the occult. I imagine you are asking yourself why a man such as myself, devotee of science and rationality, was so quick to throw in my lot with someone who had more in common with theosophists and surgeons. Am I ever? To put it bluntly, I had experienced something I could not describe, could not define, could not name, could not attribute to any process, mechanical or biological, of which I was aware. That had never happened before. Even my experiences with analgesics and anesthetics, devices which have inspired in many encounters both divine and devilish, had brought me only despair and the dull desolation of death. The doctor and his medicine had awakened something in me, and I could no more turn away from it than I could stop breathing. 
I returned to my room that night with renewed purpose and a lightness in my heart I had not felt since childhood. If I had known the price that would be exacted. But truth is only apparent looking backward, and so I charged forward in complete and contented ignorance. I'm here, darling! Oh, not again. I swear, this man will be the death of me. Teddy! Teddy! Hello, sweetheart. Oh, I, I didn't see... What are you doing, Teddy, coming out of whatever that place is at this time of morning? Lorraine, dear, I took your advice, and you're right. I would have been a fool to let such an opportunity pass me by. What? Your advice to work with the doctor. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. To find a job, dear. Oh. 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 That's wonderful, darling. Hmm. There's something different about you today, Teddy. Something good, I hope. Oh, yes, uh, of course. <laughs> that's wonderful. I'm very proud of you, of course. Now come along, we're due at the florist. The florist? To discuss flowers. For the wedding. Oh, yes, I, I forgot. <sighs> oh, Teddy. Well, hurry up then. Oh, you do look nice today. I, I'm glad you think so, but I'm sorry, sweetheart. You'll have to speak to the florist yourself. What? The doctor needs me. He's been so busy since we moved in, he's barely had time to unpack. Teddy, <laughs> this is simply... Can it be rescheduled? Of course not! She's the most sought-after florist in the city! <sighs> but, like a man, you wouldn't know that. <laughs> I forgive you, and now we really do need to hurry. I, I am needed here. I... but you... what... why... I'm a new man, Lorraine. A better man. And it's all thanks to you. But you... I... Frederick, I'm in need of your assistance. Yes, Doctor. I'll see you later, sweetheart. Dinner? Tomorrow? Wonderful. And I am sorry about the florist, but I'm sure whatever you pick will be perfect. Why? I never... That's no way to treat a nice lass. She thought so as well. Ultimately, the problems our relationship faced went far deeper than how we treated each other. You know how we found her? Yes. You know her condition when we found her? I can imagine. Pal, no way you can imagine what she... I promise you, I can. May I continue? Not yourself, Al. That's the last of the crates. What next? <laughs> next, you sit down, Frederick. Your drive and motivation are formidable, but even the young must take time to rest. 
I spent so much of my time resting before. I don't want to waste another second. And this is well and good. But the body must rest, even if the mind need not. Can we begin, then, the study of your, um, uh, Can we begin to study? (laughs) Of course. But I'm afraid you might be rather disappointed in that regard. I'm sorry, what? Truthfully, Frederick, there is no way to study what I do. But you said... That I would teach you, and I will, as far as I am able. But... The art is not one that is taught out of books. It is one learned in the doing, not the reading. I see. Uh, Well, then, may I... You will be included in my evaluations and treatment. Thank you, Doctor. I cannot express how grateful I am. Yes, of course, of course. And you're welcome. Most welcome. For the time being, however... We need a doctor! What the... Please help him! He he fell against the laundry press, and it took his arm! He... Oh my god! Bring him here! We warned him! I I told him not to lean over it like that! I told him that it could take his... and, and, And then there was so much blood! He... It doesn't look like he's breathing! Is he breathing? Oh my god! Set him down! Now, step away, and you must breathe also. Frederick, gloves and clean cloth, please. Yes, Doctor. Now, on his back. Hold him, his legs, please. And we will... Oh. Is it... is it bad? He will recover. But, Doctor, he... Will recover. You... Put your hand here and here. Now, hold them tightly. Frederick, come with me. Where are you going? All is well. I'm simply going to retrieve my equipment. Doctor, how could you tell them that you saw his condition? You must know he can't... Do not question my diagnoses. Not in private. And not in front of the patient. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Doctor. Good. Now, I will need a suture kit and a hypodermic. That cupboard, there. Bring them, please. Hypodermic, suture kit, in the cupboard. This one, I think. Where is... Oh, is ah! What the hell? What? What is this? It. Oh God! It's a rat. A very dead rat. Disgusting. Now we'll have to put down traps. Just need to dispose of this. What the? What? Does it have? What is this? Looks like it's been shot, or... I don't know what else could do that kind of damage. But I found it. Maybe he shot it but didn't kill it, and it crawled in there to die, but... 
God, it's kind of damaged. Bones have been shattered. I wonder. Frederick? Coming, Doctor. I'll get him no traps. Whatever did that is too destructive to be efficient. That was the first time I watched the doctor work. It was equally astounding from the outside, though not in the ways I was expecting. He pulled the man's arm out straight, exposing the horrific injury that opened it from wrist to elbow. A long, ragged tear through skin and muscle, white shards of bone spearing up and through. Wiping away the blood as best he could, he probed the damaged tissue. At first, it seemed he was examining it. But as I watched, I realized he was carefully moving damaged tissue back into an approximation of its correct place. Seemingly oblivious to the wounded man's expression of pain, to the fresh blood flowing under his hands, he reassembled first the radius and ulna, then brachioradialis muscle, then superficial flexors and a grotesque parody of a functioning arm. Then he took out a bottle, either the one he had drawn my cure from or its twin, and carefully poured a measure of liquid directly into the wound. For a moment, nothing happened. Even the man's low moaning ceased. Then... And then... Even knowing what I know now, I still cannot fully understand why observing the doctor's treatments affected me as they did. He was healing, flesh knitting itself back together, skin fusing to cover it, but watching... The bones of the man's arm had been shattered, and though the doctor had put the pieces roughly in place, it was far from perfect. When the medicine touched them, for a moment I thought that somehow the wound had putrefied, that the squirming white things were fly larvae, maggots, but that was impossible. It had been less than an hour since the injury occurred, not near enough time for necrosis to have set in, much less for eggs to be laid and hatched. It was bone, the broken fragments, wriggling, crawling, over and under and through, moving themselves into their proper places. I blinked, rubbed my eyes, even having felt the doctor's treatment heal my own body, it was all but impossible to believe what I saw. I watched the bone reassemble, and the muscle fibers and the skin. It was done in less time than it has taken to describe, but in the moment time slowed. The world shrank until the entirety of existence was only this room and the people inside it, and I felt... It is well documented that there is a particular set of sensations associated with being watched. Chills, mental disquiet, acute sensorina, so on. As I watched the doctor's treatment, I felt all of them. It was as if some external force completely outside the space in which I existed studied me as closely as I studied the man's body. I tried to turn my head, to look away from what was happening before me, to confront whoever was staring at me so intensely. But I could not. I could not even close my eyes. I was, in that moment, simply a consciousness. A mind attached to nothing. Connected to nothing. And then it was over. Whatever delirium that had held me released its grip. 
Dr. Leichenberg slipped away from the table, and the man sat up. The terrible pallor had left his face, and though traces of drying blood still streaked his clothes, his arm was clean and whole, bearing no sign at all of the horrific injuries that had twisted it minutes ago. I... again... I was filled with that sense of wonder. Beautiful, transformative joy of seeing one's deepest desires be proven true. This, this was the medicine I wished to learn, and this was the man who could teach me. But try as I might to banish it, the memory of being that paralyzed consciousness, studied by something far outside himself, remained in the back of my mind. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm glad my tale is meeting with your approved detective. Well, Jet, you're still the one in the shackles. I am not, as it happens, able to forget that fact. Okay. What I'm hearing is this. You think you found some kind of medical miracle man? You get yourself all gassed up, figuring you're this close to knowing the answer. So you stick around, even when things are starting to get off. Well, that is essentially the truth. Okay. Sure. Great. But, see, what I'm not understanding, Mr. Kent... It's how you went from that to kidnapping, murder, and desecration of a corpse. Sorry, corpses. This sort of thing is different on the radio. What do you mean? Oh, being questioned by the police, uh, it isn't at all like this. I am Chilling Suspense, Ace Matthews, Kid Reporter, Episode 3, uh, The Mystery of the Man-Eating Moths, which was the first time we actually met Detective Lowell Sharp's partner, Ezekiel Zeke Harrison. He broke the ace's arm during interrogation, and he was the good cop. Well, radio's old bollocks anyway. Yeah, so I have discovered. All the same, I was quite nervous to meet you. Even though you asked for me? No. Yes, I wanted to set the record straight. All the same, I thought you, uh... Might. Break your arm? Well, yes. Sorry to disappoint. No, no, uh, not at all. It's quite a pleasant surprise. Despite your appearance, you're not nearly as dull and plodding as I expected. Why, thank you, Mr. Kent. Oh, you're welcome. Isn't it interesting, Detective, how dissimilar what one should be is from what actually comes about? I don't know where you're going with this. Oh, nowhere in particular, I suppose. Just an idle thought. Then can we get back to the confession? Oh, uh, yes, of course. It's just, uh... What? I knew someone in my childhood. Our families were, well, not close, though I'm sure my father wished we had been. But we attended school together, she and I. She was brilliant. Talented in both the sciences and the arts. Intelligent, clever, perceptive. The kind of person who could change the course of history given half a chance mind and skills and resources. Sounds like a brawl ass. Yeah, she was. Is, I presume. Yet. Still not sure where this is going. She married some time ago. Women often do. He's much older. A professor of, uh, something. Something dusty and dull, without bearing on the actual material reality of the world. 
locked away in the ivory tower of the university without so much as a thought for the lives of the people below, but from a good family, well off. Sounds like a good match. I suppose. She's done nothing. With all her intelligence, her talent, despite being given everything needed to effect change, to help the world, to heal and protect humanity, she has contented herself with being a wife. An idle, rich woman, without ambition or drive, not even a bird in a cage to be pitied. She remains there willingly. What she should have been, should be, meant nothing at all. Had things been as they should, she would not have settled for such a life. Had they been as they should, the doctor would have had as pure motivations as I. But that isn't the way of the world. And so he did not. a particularly bad one. <laughs> uh, no more than my health keeping pace with my age, I suppose. Surely you aren't that old. Now, the most recent patient. Of what would you say she was suffering? The rough, scaly skin is consistent with atopic dermatitis, but the fever, redness, and joint pain, uh, dermatomyositis? Hmm. And were that the diagnosis, what treatment would one traditionally prescribe? Topical ointment, uh, applied till symptoms resolve, then continuing pro renata. Oh, well done, my boy. I concur entirely with both diagnosis and treatment. <laughs> Not that she'll need it now. Once again, I am in awe of your art. Oh, well, one does what one can. Of course. Doctor, your medications. I have learned so much assisting in their applications. Still, I wondered... That is, I am grateful, of course, to be able to treat patients with them, but I would like to start assisting in their preparation as well as their administration. It's been six months. Surely you can trust my skill and my discretion. <sighs> Frederick, as I have told you before, you it are not... It is a process not undertaken lightly, yes, sir, I know, but you have seen my commitment, my devotion to you and your methods. Just so, until I am sure that you are not just willing, but able to take on the stresses. What more must I do to show you that I am ready? Patience, my dear boy. You must show patience. Now, I know that is not a skill in which the young put much stock. But in this matter, it must be your watchword. 
Please, trust that as soon as you are ready, I will bring you into my confidence on this matter, as I have with all others. Now, please, if you will straighten up the exam room, and then take the rest of the day to yourself. Look, the weather outside is beautiful. It is much too nice for one your age to be trapped indoors with a dusty old man. Go outside. Visit that lady friend of yours. And please, do not expect me for supper. I will be busy in my laboratory until quite late. But get some sun, Frederick. Doctor's orders. You are much too pale. Think on this. If the doctor is unwell... How shall his patients trust that he can heal them? Yes, Doctor. I asked him to take me into his confidence on that matter many times within the first six months. But while many things changed, his answer never did. When did you move into the warehouse? Uh, July. When we'd been working together a little over eight months. We've done well. Very well. Contrary to my earlier assumptions, the doctor's fees were eminently reasonable, well within the reach of the average man on the street. The doctor was able to live comfortably with what we collected. However, it became clear we needed additional space, and so I withdrew from my trust the funds to relocate the practice from the small storefront to a much larger warehouse space, and made up the difference between income and expenses from the same source. I left the rooming house in favour of living in the quite adequate apartment built into the larger space. The doctor himself retired to his workshop at the end of the day, where I presumed he'd established his own habitation. We were even able to hire a girl to come in every day with Sunday to sweep up and make us a cooked supper. We grew to know each other well. Spending that much time in close proximity, how could we not? But no matter how frankly we spoke, how many secrets were shared, I was never allowed through the door that separated his workshop from the rest of the building. That door remained locked at all times even when the doctor was simply in the treatment room across the hall. I asked him why several times, and on each he smiled, told me that I was not ready to go any deeper. For a long while I thought he was referring to the places I was allowed within the building. But that wasn't what he meant? I realised it was not. I. When we had been working out of the warehouse for five months and together for almost a year, I began to suspect that the doctor was more than the open-minded healer that he styled himself to be. Why? Because, detective, it was then that he began to be visited in the dark of night by people in long hooded cloaks. Run that by me again. People in what? Cloaks. Black ones. With hoods. Like the Mater Espacio. I'm sorry, what? Come on, I know you'll listen to children's suspense. Oh, and no, not at all. In My Mother, My Marsh, and the Rex Dexter Chronicles Part 2, the Mutter Expatio is described as wearing a flowing one-piece garment made from a strange fabric that moved around her limbs like thick liquid. If you prefer an example drawn from fiction, these individuals might have been at home in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, fright. Of course. How could I forget? Yes, well... It was pure chance that I discovered the midnight meetings at all. It was November. 
The city was frozen, blanketed in snow, turned to dirty slush in the gutters. But somehow, no matter how cold it got outside, our warehouse clinic always seemed too warm at night. Perhaps it was the lack of working windows or another quirk of the building, but no matter the season, my bed remained uncomfortably hot. On this night I had lain awake, tossing and turning in my damp bed before finally giving up the attempt and taking to the streets in the hopes that the snowy streets would cool my fevered frame. The city there is Warren. Narrow alleys, twisting streets, warehouses with strange angles and unexpected corners. There were no street lamps, the only light coming from the moon and the occasional yellow splashes of illumination around empty loading docks. I wandered, no particular direction in mind, no goal except to find relief. My aimless drifting eventually brought me around in a wide loop, such that I again approached our building, but from behind, and as I did. At first glance, it seemed to be simply another shadow, cast against the brick and concrete walls. Then it moved. I froze. It glided forward, a deeper, more velvet black than the light around them. He drew in a breath and took an involuntary step back into the darkness. It was a human figure, of average height, though the cloak made it difficult to discern the actual shape of the body underneath. They moved quickly, but deliberately, hugging the buildings, carefully avoiding the light. As I watched, they approached the rear door of the warehouse, the one that opened directly into the doctor's workshop. Thinking it to be a thief or a thug or some other kind of miscreant, I nearly called out a warning, but the words died in my throat as, rather than attempt to jimmy the lock or pound the door off its hinges, the figure stepped forward and rapped out a politely refined knock. I continued to watch, now speechless from baffled confusion rather than fear. The figure waited and knocked again, slightly more impatiently but just as polite. They had raised their hand to knock for a third time when the door was thrown open, flooding the street with momentary brilliance. The doctor stood in the doorway. At least I thought it was the doctor. I blinked, trying to clear the spots from my dazzled vision. Truly seemed to be the doctor, but his silhouette was strange. Broader than it should be somehow, and distorted lumps and protrusions where none should be, and, uh... Sweat dripped from my forehead and into my eyes, causing me to squint against the pain. When I opened them again, both the doctor and the cloaked figure had disappeared into the building, leaving only the darkness, the silence, and me, telling myself I could not have seen what I thought I saw. A third long arm bending at far too many joints, reaching out from under the doctor's white coat. Mr. Kent, I have to ask... Sure you weren't, how do you say it, indulging in anaesthetics that night? Because this seems pretty, you know. As I told you, Detective, that compulsion left me completely the day I was cured and I have touched no intoxicants of any kind since. Right. So, we've got weird elixirs, now guys in cloaks. What's next, a secret society? Oh, as it happens. Uh, doctor? A moment, please. Where... where are... Uh, ah, there you are. These small instruments do like to hide themselves away from me. 
Now, what is it, Frederick? I... Last night, with the heat, I couldn't sleep. I saw your... your visitor, Doctor, last night, and I... I was not aware that I was to be accountable to you for the individuals with whom I pass my evenings. Oh, no, no, of course not. I, it was not... I, I didn't intend to... Uh, that is... I, I'm sorry, sir. I was just concerned. For your well-being, if you are, um... If they have threatened you... In future, I feel it will be best for you to confine your concern to your own matters and not to mine. I, I um... Uh, of course. I apologize. I understand, Frederick. I'm an old man. You're a young one. It is natural that you would see yourself as the more capable between the two of us. Oh, no, I, of course, I, I would never. <laughs> ah, it's all right, dead boy, all right. I would feel the same were I thirty years younger. But I assure you, I'm in no danger. If you must know, he is a fellow member of the Brotherhood that seeks to improve the lot of all mankind. Dressed like that? <laughs> a penchant for the dramatic does not make one less of a scientist, Frederick. Uh, oh, of course not. That being said, the Order is, as I understand, currently led by individuals a little more at home in the... Arts than true science. The order. <laughs> it is impolite to pry, Frederick. Oh, yes, yes, I, uh, I understand. Marvellous, marvellous. Now then, we shall say no more about this, shall we? Y yes, sir, that is, no... Doctor. Still, while I did not ask, I could not help but think. And of course, as I did, the world around me continued its inexorable march forward.